0: Well, good evening and welcome everyone to our Wednesday prayer Bible study, joining with our truth seekers today. Thank you, Jada, for that song. It goes right along with the uh, passage that we'll be looking at today. And what we'll be looking at is Psalm 127. We started last week, we'll finish up today. Psalm 127, just five verses there, Um, but very important. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Well, here's part of the Bible that 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 shares that with us. How important are children to God? Well, so important that God calls all of us into relationship with him as a father to children. He is our heavenly father. We are we that believe in him are his children, no matter what age we are. We will always be his children, his offspring. In other words, he's responsible for bringing us to life and he has a relationship with us as a father, the one who loves and provides and protects his children. In Psalm 127, it says, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early or go Late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, where he gives to his beloved sleep. He said, What does that mean concerning children? Well, he starts out talking about the work that God does is essential, and without his work, our work is in vain. He talks about the house and he talks about the city. This, this is where people dwell and we are familiar with that how many of you when you left your house today made sure the door was locked i think all of you did that when you left your car in the parking lot even though you just for a little while you locked the door you probably sounded the alarm we even lock our doors once we come in here because of crazies on the street i want to come in here not to praise god but to do silly things Um, And so we guard our possessions. But the Bible says, unless God is guarding it, our guarding doesn't do any good. It's in vain, whether we guard our home or whether we guard our city. And then he says this, because I I think they are connected. Verse 3, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. One of the things about a child is not just innocence, but a a child is needs protection because of their vulnerability. Um, they don't think in terms of safety all, all the time. If their ball rolls out in the street, they just go and get it. Unless their parents have warned them over and over and over again, don't you ever go run after a ball in the street. They don't think about their safety. They can be welcoming to strangers, even when those strangers may mean them harm. Um, and even if they uh, are aware of a danger, they can't always themselves protect their own self. They need someone. That's why God gave them fathers and mothers and siblings and, and a whole household to protect them. And God is the ultimate protector. Unless God protects our children, our watching is in vain. Uh, we, watch or we pray over them this summer. We pray for our children that God will keep them safe. And that's why we pray to God because He's the one that is ultimately uh, the key to their, to their safety. <clears> then <throat> it says this children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. In other words, God regards children as a gift from Him. What's special? What is it about gifts? Well, they are special. And we treasure them. They are valuable to both the giver and the receiver. The giver gives something that he knows is of value. The receiver treasures what is given and guards it and protects it. When I was a little kid, my my mom and dad bought me a bike. And that was the first new bike that I ever got. And they told me that, hey, this is probably going to be your last new bike guarded, protected, um, and I had an issue with that bike. There were some bad kids in the neighborhood, and I rode my bike down the alley all the way to the end of the alley, away from my home, and what do you know, there was two boys waiting for me there. And one boy says, hey, I like that bike, and I was a little scared, what should I do? He said, that bike looks like it's my size. Let me see if I can get on it. So he he put his foot over the bike and and over by the pedestal. uh, uh, um, And eventually he hit me and pushed me off the bike and stole my bike. I didn't know what to do. I was afraid. I didn't fight back. I didn't do anything. I ran home and I told my mom, I told my brothers, but then it was too late. He was gone. Well, we sent out a search warrant. <laughs> Our whole family went into the neighborhood, eventually found that bike, and brought it back. But I learned a, a good lesson from that, is that when he pushed me off and he hit me, hit me in the jaw, but it didn't hurt. And I thought, my brothers would hit me, and we would fight, and we would, we would tussle and wrestle all the time. And their hits would hurt, but his did not hurt because he was my size. I should have fought back. And from that point on, I said, you know what? I'll never let somebody take my treasure possession without at least a fight back. And it hasn't happened since. (laughs) But when you're seven years old, you learn those little lessons. My point is that gifts that we're given, we treasure the giver treasures and the receiver ought to respect and treasure parents we ought to treasure the gift of children that God gives us how do we treasure it how do we show that we treasure I'm not talking about spoil too many parents think that their kids are there for them to spoil that's not the point we treasure by taking care of by preparing them for what God has for them by using by putting them in the place God wants them to play, to put, to put, be put. Um, when my parents got me something that I treasured, if it was a baseball glove, I didn't just throw it on the ground when I was finished. I collected it, make sure it didn't get lost, and I put it in a safe place. Um, that's how we ought to do with things we treasure. And as parents, God wants us to treasure what He has given us, and that's our kids, by bringing them up, in the training of the Lord. So kids, you are here today because your parents treasure you. They want you to grow up and learn about God and to live for God and be obedient to him. And so that's the right way to treasure our child. It tells us even more about that in verse four. It says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children of one's youth. Children are like arrows. Now that goes against our culture today. Because you know what it's saying? Children are like weapons. We often think children are just, they, they are soft, they are sweet. We're supposed to just hug them and, and love them. Love them, yes, but children are weapons. And we should train them to be the weapons God intends them to be. What's important about an arrow? A couple things. First of all, let me ask the, the boys in the front row. If I have an arrow that's crooked and bent, when I put it in my bow and shoot it, what's going to happen? It won't, work. it won't work. Which way will it go? Yeah, it, it won't go straight, will it? What kind of arrow goes straight? straight. A straight arrow. The Bible says you are like arrows. What should we do with arrows? Two things. One is make sure they're straight, and then aim them at the target and shoot them. Make sure they're straight, and then aim them at the target to shoot. What does it mean make sure they're straight? Well, you're in truth seekers, you're in church today, because we want to make sure you grow up honoring the Lord, loving the Lord, living obediently to the Lord, growing up straight. What happens with a crooked arrow? It doesn't reach its target. And you can say it wanders aimlessly, all over. It doesn't hit the target. We want you to hit the target. Arrows are kind of like a tree. I think about a tree that, when the trees grow up, I think I used this illustration Sunday, didn't I? When a young tree grows up, if it if it starts to grow crooked, you can put a brace on to straighten it up. But as it gets bigger and older and more mature, if it goes crooked, race won't help. Got to tear it down. Got to chop it down. You are young, and we're going to straighten you out and straighten you up so that you are a straight arrow. Because we love you. We treasure you. God has given us to you for us to make you straight arrows and then send you out for the purpose that God has. So he says, children are like arrows, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Now, so there's a warrior. A warrior wants to make sure he has all his arrows and that they all are ready to go so he can load them up and shoot, right? Um, you are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. A warrior will pick his arrows and he will pull them back, point them in the right direction, and ping, let them go. Remember we went to the men's retreat last uh, this, this past spring, uh, fall? Uh, Malachi, you remember that, right? You got to do some arrow, some archery, didn't you? Okay, And you, you learn the power of that bow when you bend it back and, and how to point it and how to direct it. Um, so we, it's our job to bend you back, get you prepared, and then propel you, let you go so you hit that target. Um, Mom, sometimes we have a problem letting them go. Remember, they are not cute. Where's Andy? They're not cute and cuddly, kissy, kissy, kissy. They are arrows. They are arrows to be pointed and directed. So I got a message for everybody today. We don't like thinking of you as soldiers and warriors, but God says you are arrows and you are weapons your ammunition to be used for God's glory. He says this, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. You know what a quiver is? It's it's that pouch in the back that you use to hold the arrows. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. In other words, he's not going to back down because he has his arrows and they're straight, and he's ready to put them towards the target. We are building you as arrows, and God wants you to work in this attack against the enemy. Now, who's our enemy? It's Satan himself. God wants you to get ready so you can be in the battle. We like to have fun. We'll have fun at, at the men's retreat. We'll have fun at the boys' camp, the jump rope camp. We have fun at... at uh, um, Truth seekers in our games and stuff. But the purpose of that fund is prepare you so you can be the young man that God wants you to be, the young lady that God wants you to be, and uh, God can use you for his purpose. So I just wanted to share that with you today. Uh, think of yourself as God thinks of you. You are important. You are a gift. You are valued. You are loved. You are being prepared for an important task. Take your task seriously. And honor God. And I remember when I was there, your age, um, and and I know you're not too young to think about that task that God has for you, and to prepare yourself for for that task that He has, to be a soldier for the Lord in His army.
1: Saints, we've been meditating through the Book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is about three things. It is about the three ages, the three ages being the age before Christ, the church age, which we're currently in, and the age to come. It's about Jesus, the Son of God, who he is, what he does. But it's mostly about believing in him. And in the last section, just like this session, it's not going to be talking too much about believing. It's saving that. Is saving that and it's almost we get more attention because it's saving it where we're going to see that believing is the big finale that happens from the end of chapter 10 all the way to the end of the book so it's saving the believing part right now but trust me it's implied so we're in chapter 9 today and I want you to focus on the three ages and on what Jesus Christ does, who he is, and his uniqueness. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and a table and the head of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place having the golden altar with incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties, but into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet open as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. who through the eternal spirit spirits offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not enforced as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used for worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes a judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Let's talk about Is Jesus. Because Jesus is so important in this section. And you know, I keep debating in my head what's more important in this section? Is it three ages or is it Jesus? And I'll tell you why you can make an argument for both. The whole chapter seems to be focusing on the role of Jesus, but it's in this idea of the three ages. So I would say the three ages are more important in this chapter. But, you know, you maybe you could argue with me after service. But I've noticed that it starts off talking about the first covenant. What is the first covenant? The first covenant is what we see in the Old Testament. Moses came down with the tablets, remember, that God wrote. And after that, there's a big section of the Bible that a lot of people skip. I mean, they don't read as carefully. Mm-hmm. All the way from chapter 21, all the way to chapter 40. Yeah, you know that section that y'all be skipping, that I sometimes skip. I'm sorry. It has all the laws. And that's not even all the laws. You go into the book of Leviticus, you see more laws. And you go into the book of Numbers, and you see more laws. You go to Deuteronomy, it's what said. You say to yourself, man, what's all these laws? Who can learn all these laws? And so we see that the people of Israel had something that they called the law. First five books of the Bible. In fact, the first five books of the Bible are central to the whole Bible. You got the law of Moses. After the law of Moses, it was put in the Ark of the Covenant. And after that, the book of Joshua, was put in the Ark of the Covenant. And the prophets will write and add to it, but they always started with the law of Moses. Everything has to be based on the law of Moses. Why is it based on the law of Moses? Because that's what God gave to Moses. He said, this is how I want my people to deal with me. And whenever people will sin, the priests will go and offer sacrifices for the people. Now, it did mention unintentional sins, which, you know, let's just take a little editorial break and talk about the fact that it did not talk about intentional sins. Meaning, people are high-handed in their sins. They have to repent and be broken. Right? People need to repent and be broken. We have right now what they call Pride Month. Everybody needs to know about Pride Month. What is Pride Month? That's when people are proud. The Bible says pride comes before the fall." got people celebrating their sins this month. It says LGBTQ plus. That's ladies loving ladies in ways they shouldn't. Men loving men in ways they shouldn't. People loving anybody in ways they shouldn't. And people who don't know who God created them to be. Plus anybody else. Wants to practice any other form of abomination. It all goes against the law of the Lord, which we should not be ashamed to say. Anybody could be saved, but well, we must repent. We gotta stop being proud. We gotta be humble. We gotta be broken by the burden of our sin. And I just notice that people who do all that stuff—they never it. That's why they got a name. They fest this stuff. Pride fest stop. It should be ashamed shame this. So all these things go on, and the priest offers these sacrifices, and then he goes to this holy of holy place where God is, and you couldn't go into that place just any old way. In fact, you couldn't even get near the things of God any old way. There was a story of a man who brought a cart of the Ark of the Covenant, and he accidentally touched it. You remember that? And he touched it when he wasn't supposed to, and God was like, did. There was a story of some priest who went in to the Holy of Holies, and they were drinking a little bit and offered up a fire that God didn't want them to offer. And what happened to them? Gone. It said that when the Holy of Holies, when you went in there, you had a rope tied to you because you didn't know if you was going to go in there and displease the Lord. And so if you didn't move, they didn't hear the bells ringing. They had to drag you out. It was not an easy thing to deal with our God. Because all men have sinned. But then we have Jesus. When Jesus died, it said the veil was torn. I think we don't understand that this veil was not like tearing some fabric. It's more like tearing a wall. You gotta understand that this is super thick. This is not like just some regular curtain that's ripped. It would still be a miracle if I said, hey man, that curtain just ripped and then ripped it. You'd be like, whoa, that's crazy. But it wouldn't be that much effort to rip a curtain like that. But it'd be a whole nother thing if you ripped a wall you just seen a wall just open. And that's what happened when Jesus died. The veil was torn between the holy of holies and the holy place, signifying that God wanted to dwell with man. And who paved the way for that? That was Jesus. Now, we need not be what the scripture uses this term presumptuous. What does that mean? That means we think we could just walk up and walk into God's palace. You can't do that. We can't do that. We have a representative who goes and meets with God before us. God is just as dangerous now as he was back then. But when we send the representative, he's the perfect representative. The reason he's the perfect representative is that he perfectly represents man and God because he's both. He lived the perfect life as a man. He understands because he's also God. He died on the cross for our sins and he offered himself, not many times, but once. Well, all of these things brings together the idea of the three ages. law was meant to prepare us. It helped us understand that sin had to be paid for. It helped us understand what sin was. It helped us understand that great effort needed to be taken. And even though great effort needed to be taken, you keep on noticing, circling in the scriptures where you see conscience. It says a conscience can't be cleaned. The law never cleaned anybody's conscience. In other words, it might be able to remove your debt a little bit, but it could never make you be good in your mind. No so different if I put somebody in jail. That doesn't make them good. It means they can't commit crimes. The law was a jail. But when Christ died, not only did he remove sins, he imputed good and gave us a new nature. And so in the old covenant, we'll notice that they had a hard time following that law. and often went astray. When Jesus came, they didn't even have the power to confront demons. Evil was reigning, even in Israel. But after Jesus, we can now confront evil because we have God inside of us. And we look forward to the days to come where Jesus will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those of us who are eagerly waiting for him. So this section is about the three ages. That we would hope that God will restore and re- bring us into a true relationship with him. That He, we would hope that others would join in that relationship with him. Amen that we would preach this gospel that people would understand there is a way towards God not for us just to walk in as if we're good no to say Christ is good that we will be aptly represented before him amen